Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Delighted to welcome you on Easter morning. God bless you. Overflow. I know we got a crowd back there. James Weekly is wearing a coat and tie in the overflow today, uh, and that's an awesome thing. God bless you guys. Worship the Lord together with us. In this room, we just sang the song, Low in the Grave He Lay. How many of you grew up in church and have sung that song all your life? Uh, quite a few of you. Anybody else ever think we were singing about gravy when you were a kid? Did you ever think... In the gravy laid. Okay, me neither. <laughs> Seriously, y'all never. Never mind. Um, Mark chapter 16 is, is in the scripture this morning. That's kind of the thing about Easter. Some things kind of soak in. That they sort of soak in. I realize at some point it's not gravy. It's the grave. Low in the grave he lay. And up from the grave he arose. It's strange how you sing these songs. It's strange how you come to church on Easter. But honestly for some of us, the, the truth of what we celebrate, the truth of what the scripture proclaims, the, the truth of the songs we're singing, sometimes the, the, the truth is slow to sink in. I heard a pastor saying that, that a lady was walking out of church last Easter, and, and she's a lady who, who comes to his church some, not a lot, but, but some, uh, enough where he was kind of concerned about what she said as she walked out of Easter. She said, Pastor, what happened next? He said, ma'am, what do you mean? He said, well, you said that he came out of the grave. What happened next? The pastor said, well, well ma'am, he's alive. She said, you mean he's alive? He said, yes, he's alive. He lives. We pray to him. He's, he's Jesus. We believe that he's alive. And she honestly said to her pastor, why have you never explained this to us before? Not a joke. Why have you never explained this to us before? Honestly, it's what he spends his life trying to explain. But if it finally sunk in with her on that Easter, praise God for it. And if today is the day when, when the truth of this message finally sinks in for you, then God bless you. I, I pray that it happens. These aren't just songs we're singing. It's not just Easter because it's Easter. He's alive. He's alive. Now, now I know if, you, if you're new to church or if you don't usually come to church or, or if you're new to the gospel, that probably sounds a little strange to you. You may think that we're strange because we're proclaiming that a guy who died is alive. We're not strange. We're not strange. I know that dead people ordinarily stay dead. I'm not saying this happens all the time. It's happened once so far. And it happened to Jesus. He was God's son, God in the flesh. And when he died, he arose. He, he arose. He, he lives. If that's never sunk in for you, let it sink in now. He lives. He lives. I'm not just saying this because I'm a preacher. I, I'm not just saying this because it's Easter. You've got to understand, this is everything to me. And, and a lot of you in the house, this is everything. I'm not just saying he's alive because other people say he's alive. I know he lives. I know he lives. I talk to Jesus. I feel his power, his, his life in my life. I know he lives. If it's never really sunk in for you, understand this isn't just good news. This is true news. He lives. Look with me in Scripture, Mark chapter 16. This is the story. This is the original story. This is how we first discovered that he lives. Some women went to the tomb after Jesus was crucified. 
They went there to embalm the body. Do you understand? They saw him die. He was dead. But when they got to the tomb, they found it empty. Here's the story. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Take your seats. You will see him there, the messenger said, exactly as he told you, just as he told you. In the world that we live in, there aren't a lot of people who who keep their word. That's why one of my favorite people in all the world is is Horton. Y'all remember the book by Dr. Seuss, Horton Hatches the Eggman? We just need more people like Horton in the world. You remember the story? Maisie is the lazy bird, and Maisie gets tired of sitting on her nest and sitting on her own eggs. So what does Maisie do? She asks Horton the elephant to sit on her nest. You you know this story? I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. I I could, but I'm not going to. Horton gives his word. He says, I will sit on your nest. I will stay there until your eggs hatch. And he sits, and he sits, and he sits. His heart goes. So Horton kept sitting there day after day. And soon it was autumn. The leaves blew away. And then came the winter, the snow, and the sleet. And icicles hung from his trunk and his feet. But Horton kept sitting and said with a sneeze, I'll stay on this egg, and I won't let it freeze. I meant what I said. I said what I meant. An elephant's faithful 100%. Let that sink in. So poor Horton sat there the whole winter through, and then came the springtime with troubles and new. His friends gathered round, and they shouted with glee, Look, Horton, the elephant's up in a tree. They taunted, they teased him, they yelled, How absurd! Old Horton, the elephant, thinks he's a bird. They laughed and they laughed and they all ran away and Horton was lonely. He wanted to play, but he sat on the egg and continued to say, I meant what I said and I said what I meant. An elephant, faithful, 100%. Yeah, I'm telling you, we need more people like Horton in the world. I'm told in the old days people meant what they said and said what they meant, but, but I'm not sure that you can still say that about our culture these days anyway. That They say that at one time that a, man's, a man was as worth as much as his word. Oh my, my goodness, if, if that's the way it is, then a lot of people aren't worth much these days because our word isn't worth much. People don't mean what they say. People don't say what they mean. People aren't faithful 100%. There just aren't a lot of faithful people in the world. 
Just a lot of empty promises. Some of you sitting in this house today in the overflow, in the sound of my voice, you know what it is to be disappointed, maybe even wounded, but by the empty promises of, of, of people. Maybe it was a, a man or a woman who stood on an altar with you and made promises that they did not keep. Maybe they never intended to, to keep. You know what empty promises can, can do. You need to understand that, that Easter is a celebration of a promise kept. But because empty promises are, are, are devastating. People who do not keep their word, they're, they're devastating. The problem with empty promises is that there are already so many empty people in the world. And if you combine empty promises with empty people, you've got nothing, nothing but tragedy. There was a, a radio station in Lexington, Kentucky that had a contest. If you listen to radio, especially pop radio, they're all time doing contests. And this was one of those phrase that pays kinds of things where when you hear the phrase that pays, if you're the 10th caller, you can call in and win a hundred grand. That's what the DJ said. That the 10th caller, after you hear the phrase that pays, if you call in, you'll win a hundred grand. Okay, okay. You know where this leads yet? So there was a lady, her name was Norisha Gill. She lived in Lexington. And she listened, and she listened, and she listened, because honestly, she needed a hundred grand, a hundred thousand dollars. She needed that worse than anything. She had a whole lot more bills than, than money. She had three babies. She had three kids. Narisha was determined to win that money, to win that hundred grand. So she listened, and she listened, and she listened, and it was supposed to be by the end of the day, and she listened all the way into the night. She listened to that radio station for hours, and finally she heard the phrase that pays, and she just started dialing, calling, and hanging up and dialing, and guess what? Narisha Gill was caller number 10, caller number 10, and the DJ said, Narisha Gill, you just won 100 grand, and she's, woo, woo, she's so excited. I'm telling you, it's nearly the middle of the night. But she woke her babies up. She had a one-year-old, she had a five-year-old, and an eight-year-old. She woke her children up and said, guess what, babies? Our life's going to be different. Mama just won $100,000. And that night she said, babies, we're going to get a house with a backyard. We're going to get a house with a yard. And we're going to get a minivan so we can go places. And Mama's going to take you all shopping. Woo! And the kids were excited. Woo! next day, Narisha got dressed up, took the babies down to the radio station, said, I'm Narisha Gill, I'm here to pick up my prize money. The DJ stepped out, and he gave her a hundred grand. Now, you know what a hundred grand is if it ain't money? It's a candy bar. Nestle makes it. A, a Nestle $100,000 bar. Have you seen that? Yeah. It, it was a joke. It was a radio joke. It, it was an empty promise that they were never going to give anybody $100,000. When he said you win hundred grand, he meant candy bar. It was a joke. But for Narisha Gill, it wasn't a joke. She said, I got dressed up. And I brought my babies to the radio station, and I promised them stuff. I promised them that our lives would be different. I, I promised them that Mama had, had won $100,000, and I promised them we'd have a house with a yard. And, and, I, and I promised them that we'd have a minivan and go places. I told them I'd take them shopping. Who does this to people, she said. Who does this to people? 
Man, you see, it's, it's that combination of empty promises and an empty person. When I say that Narisha's an empty person, I'm not saying that she's empty-headed. No, she's a smart lady. I'm not saying that that emptiness has somehow got to do with her worth. She's she's of infinite worth to God. You understand? She's a a creature for whom Christ died. I mean, this woman has infinite worth. When I say she's empty, I'm not saying that there's something wrong with her. I'm just saying that, that she's empty in the same way a lot of us are empty. It's just that she doesn't have her life all together and and most of us don't have our lives all together. She, she didn't have her, her marriage together. And a lot of us, we don't have our marriages together. She didn't have her finances together. And a lot of us, we don't have our finances together. She just didn't really know where her life was going. She was just empty. And when you combine that, that empty person and the empty promise, it's, it's just devastating. And that's the world we live in. So many empty, empty people who were constantly bombarded with empty, empty promises. My goodness, nobody's good for their word anymore, it seems. Least of all the politicians. Politicians stand up and they promise things, they say things, and the minute they say them, you know they don't believe it themselves, and they don't expect you to believe it. Nobody holds them accountable. Nobody even expects a politician to keep his promise. That they're empty promises. Every one of them, empty promises. You can't trust what you read or see on the news. What they say on the news may or may not be true. It depends on whether they're just trying to get ratings or not. To understand the world we live in, you just can't trust that anything you're told is going to be the truth. This is why it's so important that you understand that the message that we're proclaiming today, it's not just good news. This is true news. This is true. We're talking about a man named Jesus who gave his word. And we're talking about a man who was faithful 100%. We're talking about God who makes promises and keeps promises. Don't miss the fact that in the Easter story, nearly every character that pops in here is an empty person. Don't don't miss that. The first Easter isn't about people with their lives all together getting dressed up and running to celebrate something at church. That's not what the first Easter was about. These aren't women all dressed up. There are no dresses and bonnets here. These aren't women with their lives all together. These are empty women rushing to an empty tomb. Do you understand that? that? These are empty women. Look at your Bible. Look at all of the words used to describe these women who, who, who have the, the starring role in the first Easter. Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Okay, do you understand? These are women who saw their Savior die. They saw their Savior die. They loved Jesus. They believed Jesus. They believed that he was not just the hope for Israel, not even just the hope for the world. These women believed that he was the hope for their lives. They loved him. They believed him. And they watched him die. He didn't just die. He died a horrible, public, humiliating death. They saw him bleed. They saw him naked. They watched him die. These are women who've lost everything now. Where's their life going to go now? They have no idea. Notice they go to the tomb, but they don't go to the tomb with with answers. They go to the tomb with, with questions. They're asking questions. What's their main question? 
Who's going to roll the stone away from the tomb for us? You understand? They've got one goal for the entire day, and that is simply to get to Jesus' dead body and apply spices to it to try their best to embalm him in the way that they would have done that. It's the only thing they want to do in this entire day, and the only thing they want to do, they're not sure they can even do. These are empty women. There's a tremendous obstacle, a stone in the way, and not a one of them, not the three of them together, are ever going to budge that stone. Who's going to roll the stone away? Do you understand? Empty, empty, weak. The only thing they want to accomplish, they don't even have the strength to accomplish. Are are you reading this with me? Jump down to verse 5. The women were shocked. The angel says, don't be alarmed. You're looking for, for Jesus. The women fled from the tomb. They're trembling. They're bewildered. They say nothing to anyone because they're frightened. Every single word used to describe these women only emphasizes their their questions, their weakness, their emptiness. But these empty women, they come and they find the tomb empty. You understand? They find the tomb empty. And the emptiness of that tomb means everything. The emptiness of that tomb changes everything for them and for us. And it has to do with what the angel tells the women. I want you to focus with me on verse 7. The messenger, the man, the shining man inside the tomb says, Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Say these words. Just as he told you. You will see him just as he told you. Just as he told you, just as he told you, we're talking about a promise keeper here. We're talking about a promise kept. Jesus had promised that he would die, but that he would rise from the dead. He promised them that. And now the messenger is saying, you're going to see him just like he said. We're talking about a man of his word. We're talking about a man who keeps every single promise. You're going to find him. You're going to see him just like he said. He's alive. Just like he said he would be. Yeah, but preacher, I saw this documentary on the History Channel. And it had another story to tell. Yeah, you saw that? You saw that? You're going to be watching that stuff. You saw that? Yeah, I saw it. There's a whole documentary about how they think they found Jesus' tomb in Jerusalem, and it had bones in it. They found the bones of Jesus, and they found the, the bones of Mrs. Jesus, his wife, and they found the bones of all of Jesus' kids. Oh, really? They found the bones of Jesus and Mrs. Jesus. And you believe that. Because you saw it on the History Channel? Ain't that the same channel that has swamp people? (laughs) Ain't that the same channel that has reality shows based in pawn shops? Isn't that the same cable channel that had an entire two-hour documentary on Bigfoot? See, from the very beginning, from the very beginning, there has been an, an effort to disprove this. You've you, you got to understand, this is the most important story, the most important news, the most important thing in all of history, in all of creation, that, that Jesus was the Son of God who died and rose again just like he said. 
That this means everything. Do you understand that this means everything? And that's why there are people who've always been determined to try to disprove the story. It can't be disproven. It's never been disproven. That that guy doing the documentary that says he found the, the bones of Jesus, do you understand there's, there's not any evidence for that other than the fact that he says that and has the money to make a show. He'll also do Bigfoot in two weeks. Do you understand? There's no evidence, although there are lots and lots of people who want Jesus' promises to be empty. Because if Jesus is a man of his word, then you've got to believe him. And if you believe him, then you've got to let him into your life. And if you let him into your life, then you've got to let him have your life. You've got to let him take over. There are just a whole lot of people who would rather think that Jesus is dead somewhere in a tomb rather than alive and walking around and expecting something from their lives. One of the first explanations, they just said, well, these women, they were women, and it was early in the morning, and did I mention that they're women? They just wandered into the wrong tomb. People have said that from the very beginning. These women, it was early that they hadn't, you know, they didn't go by Starbucks and they're sleepy. And they just, they, it's a big cemetery and they just wandered in the wrong tomb. Seriously? I mean, for one thing, the story points out, points out right there at the burial of Jesus, verse 47, that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, they saw where Jesus' body was laid. They were there. They saw the tomb. They know which tomb it is. Well, but preacher, you know, that's the ancient world. People back then were superstitious. People that back then were probably a little more willing to believe that a dead guy could come back. You know, people back then, that they just, they weren't sophisticated. They didn't have the internet. They couldn't Google it. They couldn't look up on Snopes.com. There's just ancient people that... They would believe anything. Seriously? A man named C.S. Lewis, a great Christian philosopher, he calls that kind of attitude chronological snobbery. Chronological snobbery. It's the idea that just because we are alive today and they were alive then, that somehow we are smarter and they were dumber. You understand? Yes, these women lived in the ancient world, but that doesn't make them dumb. It doesn't mean that, that they'll just walk into an empty tomb and just want to believe that somebody lives again. They're not dumb because they live in the ancient world. They're not too dumb to find the right tomb. Are, are you kidding me? These are women who weren't necessarily inclined to believe this at all. They're smart women. They know dead people stay dead. They know where his body was. They know he was dead. They watched him die. These women aren't in any way somehow mentally deficient. They're women. They're real women. And if you notice, it's not so much the empty tomb that convinces anybody. Even when the women see the angel and they hear the angel's message, they still walk away. They don't tell anybody because they're, they're just afraid. Read the Bible. Read every gospel version of the resurrection. Nobody, nobody walks into the empty tomb and believes just because there's an empty tomb. It's not the empty tomb that makes people believe that Jesus is alive. They believe Jesus is alive when they meet Jesus alive. He appeared to them. They see him. The, the followers of Jesus, they begin to see him. Just like he said, the angel says, you're going to see him just like he said. Paul says that in one moment there, there are 500 people that saw him all at the same time. Over 500 people. And when Paul writes, he said, most of those people are alive. Go ask them. 
the, the women walk into the tomb where Jesus' body was. They were worried about the, the stone, the, the, the stone being the obstacle in their way, but when they get to the tomb, the stone's gone. It's gone. Now understand, the stone isn't rolled away to let Jesus out. The stone is rolled away to let the women in. The, the, the women enter the tomb. They don't know. that They're bewildered that they're confused. Understand, it's, it's not the empty tomb that lets them know Jesus is alive. There's a young man, an angel, a messenger who, who begins to explain it to him. Well, why are you seeking the living among the dead? This Jesus that, that you seek, he's alive. He's alive. Go get his disciples and go meet him in Galilee. You're going to see him there just like he said. Just like he said. He made a promise to you, and Jesus doesn't break his promises. He doesn't break any of his promises. You understand, if Jesus can promise to die and rise again and then see you later, if he can keep that promise, he can keep all of his promises. If he's good with that word, then every word he speaks is good. So just stop and think about that for a moment. If he can keep that promise to die and come back from the dead... There's not anything he can't do, not anything he won't do, and he will do everything he's promised. He's going to keep all his promise. So what else did he promise? Man, I love back in the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus says, everybody, look. Look at the birds in the air. They don't work. They don't worry, because God takes care of them. All the birds in the air, just look. Not a one of them falls without the maker knowing. And if that's how much God cares for the birds, you've got to understand, you are much more valuable than the birds. That's a promise. Jesus is making a promise about how valuable you are to God. If he cares for the birds like that, if he takes care of the lilies of the field, how much more will he take care of you, oh, you of little faith? You understand you're worth much more than they are to God. It's a promise Jesus made. In the Gospel of John, Jesus encountered an empty woman in a horrible situation. It was a woman caught in adultery. Remember the story? The men, the religious men, were all around her ready to stone her because the law allowed them to stone her. Understand that what they were doing was legal, technically. But remember that Jesus comes up on the scene. And scripture says he just bent down and started writing in the dust. And we don't even know what he wrote. We don't have no idea, but he wrote in the dust. And as he wrote in the dust, the men started dropping the stones and leaving. Finally, Jesus looks up and there's just the woman and just Jesus. And Jesus says, where where are all those men who are accusing you, who are judging you? The woman says, they're gone. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. I, I don't condemn you either. Can you hear that as a promise? He doesn't condemn you. Jesus did not come into the world to, to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You understand? He, he doesn't condemn you. Sometimes you come to church and you just brace yourself for it. You're expecting to be condemned. You're expecting to be judged. 
You're expecting to be told about how wrong your life is and how despicable your actions are. You're just expecting for, for the church to act like the world and just continue to heap the condemnation on you. But you understand, Jesus has a different kind of promise to you. Jesus says, I don't condemn you. It's a promise. He doesn't condemn you. Jesus was talking to a, a religious man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And in that amazing, amazing conversation, Jesus says to Nicodemus, he says, anybody who believes in me will have everlasting life. Everyone who, who believes in me will live forever. You understand? That's a promise. That's a promise made by the only human being, that God in the flesh, the only one who ever walked this earth who was 100% faithful. This is the only, only one ever who keeps every single promise. This is the only true man who's as good as his word. The angel says to these empty, empty women in that empty, empty tomb, he just simply says, go, go. You're going to see Jesus. You're going to find him because he's alive, just like he said. So the very, very important lesson for you today is that Easter's for empty people. Easter is truly for people who understand that they don't have their lives together. Easter is truly for people who recognize that, that there might be really, really good reasons to condemn and judge them. Easter is for people who, who recognize that the wheels are just coming off of their lives. It's for people who have more questions than answers. It's for people who have giant obstacles in front of their lives, stones that they know that they can never, ever move in their own power. Easter's for empty people. These women who rush to the tomb on that first Easter, they're, they're, they're empty, empty women. The, the, the women are found empty, but, but the tomb is found empty. Do you understand? And because the tomb is empty, that means that Jesus is good for his word. It means that Jesus has kept his promise. And if he keeps this promise, it means he'll keep all the promises, which means that if Jesus is that kind of promise keeper, then Jesus is going to be the one, the only one able to fill a life as empty as mine and yours. If you've got that empty life today, if you've got that empty heart, if you're the one that feels condemned, if you're the one that feels hopeless, understand, this is the message of Easter, and it's for you. Jesus keeps his word. He lives. He died. Yes, he died, but he rose from the grave just like he said he would. And you will see him in your life. You will meet him. You will know him in his power. You will know him as alive. You will know his forgiveness. You will know his grace. You will know him just like he said you'd know him. Do you understand? Easter is for empty people, but it doesn't leave us empty. It fills us. Jesus fills our lives. He'll fill your empty heart. He'll fill your empty life. You understand? It's a promise. It's a promise. It's a promise from Jesus. And he is the one who keeps all his promises. He's the one. He keeps every promise. Pray with me.
Lord Jesus, I speak boldly now to you. I call you by name because I know that you are alive. And when I pray, you hear. You hear my voice. You, you know the words even before they leave my mouth. You know the emptiness of my heart sometimes. And God, you know the hearts of every single person in this house today. Lord, you know, you know the empty hearts on some of these pews. Lord, you know the people that have gone through Easter year after year after year of their life. Lord, they dress up, they come to church, they do the baskets, they do the bonnets. Lord, but... But the truth of the message has never really sunk in. They wonder why nobody's ever explained it, Lord. Jesus, I pray that today the message would sink in. Lord Jesus, I pray that your life would, 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 would be large in front of us, Lord. I pray that you would live in such a way in this church and in our hearts that, that we could never deny your presence, your power, your promises. Lord, there are people in this room who, who need to hear the promise that, that, that they're valuable to you, loved by you, cherished by a heavenly Father. Let them hear. Lord, there are those in this room who need to hear the message that you do not condemn them. You've not come to judge them. You've come to forgive and to save, Lord. Let them hear the promise of salvation. Let them hear the message, Lord, that you do not condemn or judge. Jesus, let us hear the message today, the promise that everyone who believes in you, believes that you live, believes that you are who you say you are, believes that you keep your promises, Lord, everyone who believes, have everlasting life with you, which is to say, one day, we too will die and rise again to eternal life with you. That's your promise, Jesus. That's your promise. And we believe your promises. I pray, Lord, for those in this house today who have trouble believing, those who still have more questions than answers, those who come today, Lord, to celebrate Easter but don't have Easter faith. Jesus, I pray that you would show yourself alive in this room. Alive in our singing, Lord Jesus. Alive, powerful in your presence. Help us, Lord, to listen for your voice. Believe your promises. Surrender our lives to you. We surrender our lives to you today, Jesus. And we pray these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.